0: People of God, the gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, o Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. They have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the gospel of the Lord, the good news of Jesus Christ. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the people of God say, Well, I don't know about you, but I think that Ash Wednesday is kind of a weird day, a strange day that's always kind of puzzled me. See, when I was a kid, Ash Wednesday was the day when I had to stop eating candy, which was a terrible thing for a fat little kid who craved chocolate and sweet rolls. In church, the services took on a somber note The priest would talk endlessly about sin and death and damnation. And in third grade religion class, we were taught all about the sacrament of confession. And we had to make a a long list of all the things we, the, the sins we thought we had committed that week. Then we were marched into church that Saturday afternoon so that we could read our list to the priest in the confessional, which was, let me tell you, A scary place for a young boy. Not a happy time, (laughs) to say the least. And for a time as a young teenager, I dreaded this day because, as I saw it, this day marked the beginning of a 40-day period of sheer misery. (laughs) It's almost like, like Lent, that like during Lent, we were constantly living in the shadow of the cross and reminded of that every day, thinking about death, and dying, an eternal damnation. The, the timing seemed a little bit off, too, because you see that the very weekend before Ash Wednesday, everyone in my small town seemed to go nuts with boisterous parties and outrageous costumes and colorful parades. I grew up in the southern part of Germany, you see, and there, the weekend before Ash Wednesday is given over to Carnival a four-day marathon of parades and parties and celebrations, kind of like Mardi Gras in New Orleans or Carnival in Brazil. In Germany, it's called Fastnacht, which literally translates as the night before fasting, right? Fast night, Fastnacht. Because it's the weekend before Lent begins, the last few days before what the Germans call Fastenzeit, the time of fasting, which is the German word for Lent. In my part of the country, in the Black Forest, Fastnacht is a rather serious affair that people plan for all year long. Each town and village has their own tradition, from historic costumes to funny customs that go back hundreds of years. In Schramberg, for example, that's the town where I was born, The young people built little rafts and then set off floating down the river, as you can see here in this picture. By the way, the photo was taken just a few hundred feet from the hospital where I was born. I read in my local newspaper that I get online that this past weekend, there were more than 70 boats like this, each one more impressive than the next. Hundreds of people lined the river that flows through the town, as you can see. After three years when this spectacle had to be canceled because of COVID, everybody was there this year, flocking to the festivities. The point of this little parade down the river is to make it to the end of the route without tipping over, which happens quite a lot to the great delight of the audience. Then Wednesday morning dawns. And the frenzied days of the fastnacht with their exuberant celebrations turn into a somber day of prayer, of reflection, and of no candy. For a small kid like me, this didn't make any sense. I mean, one minute my mother was stuffing me full of pretzels and chips and chocolate. The next she insisted that I eat no candy at all for 40 days. Talk about going from feast to famine. And you want to know the absolute weirdest thing that happened to me every year on Ash Wednesday? (laughs) She sent me off to church so the priest could smear this nasty, black, oily stuff on my forehead. This from the woman who insisted that I always wash my face the other 364 days of the year. I wasn't the only one, of course. I grew up in a very small village where to this day most people are Roman Catholic. Back then, everyone went to church on Ash Wednesday. Our village church was packed for all three morning masses. And for for the rest of that day, wherever you went, you'd see people with a dark smudge on their forehead. It made no sense to me. And I suspect what Jesus has to say to us on this Ash Wednesday doesn't make much sense to us either at first look. You see, in this passage from Matthew, Jesus is lifting up three practices that would have been very familiar to an observant Jewish person of his day. Three spiritual disciplines, so to speak, three faith practices, praying, fasting, and giving alms. Every Jew, of course, knew that daily prayer was one of the basic expectations of the faith, right? Right? And so if you were a Jew, in Jesus' day, you'd say your prayers and you'd go to the synagogue on a regular basis. And if you were anyone in your village, you'd make sure that you'd be seen by your neighbors and friends. Every Jew knew that fasting was part of the faith. In fact, there were five fast days in the Jewish year, the most familiar one being Yom Kippur, the day of repentance and seeking forgiveness. Of course, People being people, they would sometimes brag about how long they could go without eating. Every Jew knew that almsgiving was an expectation of Judaism. In fact, that's how that society took care of the widows and the orphans and the poor people, through charitable donations. And of course, there were those who gave respectable sums and made quite sure that everyone in the community knew about their generosity. So you see, in some ways, Jesus is on familiar ground here, speaking and teaching about faith practices that were as familiar to the Jewish audience of his day as they may be to us. Only Jesus turns things around again. You know he's really good at that. And complains that people are doing the right thing for the wrong reason. They pray, and they show off doing it. They fast, and they expect praise from others for it. They give charitable donations, and they brag about it. Well, those attitudes, Jesus tells them and tells us today, won't get as far with God. Do not store up for, your, for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Did you know that there are more than 50,000 storage facilities like this one in the United States? Did you know that they provide a combined 2.3 billion square feet of storage space? Did you know that within 10 miles of my house, there are at least 11 storage spaces where I can keep all my stuff, one every mile? Oh, yes, we love to store up treasures on earth, don't we? Don't we? Are you guys listening? Yes, we love to store up treasures on earth, and half the time we don't have enough space in our houses to keep all of the stuff. And so the storage industry is booming. As Wednesday, this somber day on the church's calendar, this gateway to Lent reminds us that at the end of life stands the grave and that as much as we might want to, we won't be able to take any of that stuff with us. It's all going to stay in those buildings. From dust you came and to dust you shall return, we are told. It's a stark reminder of our mortality A pastor colleague some years ago wondered whether there wasn't an easier or a more comfortable approach to telling people this truth, that maybe telling people about coming from dust and returning to dust might turn some people off. I mean, it's not a very nice thing to say to people, is it? Did we have to use such harsh words? Another colleague who heard these musings wouldn't have any of it. If anything, he argued the pastor should be even more direct, more blunt, and should say, you will die. You will die, we should say, because in our youth-obsessed culture, we have done a pretty good job of denying the reality of death, of pretending that we won't ever die, of living like the end would never come, which is why Ash Wednesday is so important. Ash Wednesday is that terrible day of darkness and gloom, as the prophet Joel says. That terrible day of darkness and gloom that the prophet speaks about. Blow the trumpet, he says. Sound the alarm, for the day of judgment is coming, a day of clouds and thick darkness. It's the day when we are finally forced to confront our mortality To again be reminded that our life ends at the grave. That dirty smudge on our forehead, that's a stark reminder of what's in store for you. A terrible future that cannot be denied. And then there is verse 12. Yet even now, Says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Yet even now, and here comes the very good news, even now in the faith of death and destruction, the Lord says to us, even now, return to the Lord your God. For God is gracious, God is merciful, God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Oh, what a powerful word of life in the face of certain death. Oh, what a glorious promise at the threshold of the grave. Oh, what a life-giving, death-defying, earth-shattering word of hope just when you thought there wasn't any hope. Can somebody say amen to that? Because you see, As it turns out, death is not the final answer after all. And our lives do not end at the grave, but begin there. We can face our mortality, because that is precisely the place where ultimately God meets us. Yes, we live in the shadow of the cross. And by that I mean that we are subject to suffering and death. And yes, we live in the shadow of the cross. And by that, I mean that the cross to us, who are followers of the crucified one, is not a symbol of death any longer, but is a sign of hope, a symbol of love, a sign of life. That dirty smudge on our foreheads isn't just any old shape. We don't just throw a bit of ashes at you and wherever it may land. We don't sprinkle ashes on the top of your head like they did in Old Testament times. No. We make the sign of the cross, the symbol of death that Jesus turned into a symbol of life. And so Ash Wednesday, my friends, isn't just a reminder of our mortality, but is a promise of the life to come. Because, siblings in Christ, we live in the shadow of the cross. We do. And thank God for that. Amen.